Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. I'm not going to talk about a father's theme just because it's Father's Day, but I, I really felt like God was laying out a pattern over the last uh, couple of weeks. A couple of things that were said in previous sermons and things that I was meditating on. And so I want to tackle a very hard statement that Jesus made that I believe can help us know our father better, our heavenly father and maybe your earthly father as well. Last week, Alan was preaching on not accepting copies, but going after the authentic. And I was looking up some words that had to do with that. And honestly, a week or two before that came up. And so when when you were speaking on that, I was I was really into it. Last week was an amazing service, by the way. This is the worship and then the sermonette on giving John. It was off the charts. I, I, I texted yesterday and I said, I need the whole sermon. I want, I, want, I want the whole service. I want to listen to it all again. And then Pastor Alan, your sermon was really good. And, and, and I was looking up some of those words. But before I, I want, to, I want to tell you where this statement is. And then I'm going to give you some background and then come back to it and, and try to answer this, tackle this hard statement. In Matthew 6:15, Jesus said, "But if you do not forgive other people, then your Father will not forgive your offenses." And Matthew 18:35, he said, "So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses." And and the word forgive means to send away, to let go, release, discharge, permit to depart, to remit, to forgive. It's just to utterly let it go and get it out and do away with it. And I want to share a couple of things that happened in my life where I judged my father before I knew what I didn't know about him. And we can do the same thing with God. We can judge him on things that we don't know about him, and they can hinder or affect our ability to know him for who he really is. My dad was a really good father, and there were a lot of times where he was tempted to leave, and our family was, my parents were tempted to break up, but they chose not to, and they gave us a foundation that me and my brothers that a lot of our friends didn't have. And the more I got to know my dad as I got older and older, the more that meant to me. And I would tell him on a regular basis, thank you all so much for staying together. Thank you so much for, for remaining committed to one another. But one of the things my dad was not good at was emotional vulnerability, communication. He wasn't really good about opening up and sharing his feelings on things. And, and it was really frustrating. I started to kind of just feel, you know, distance from him. And it wasn't until the last few years of his life that I learned some things about who he was and what had happened to him. As a little boy, he was sexually assaulted by a TV repairman when he was at his house by himself. And then when it got exposed to people that should have been taking care of him, it just got swept under the rug because they didn't know how to deal with it. There were other things that my dad shared that were just like, once you heard, you're like, oh my gosh, he was carrying around this, like just burdens and burdens and burdens. And he really didn't have any extra time or energy to be emotionally, emotionally vulnerable. And another experience that this really speaks to me that I judged my dad on was in the way that he built a fence. And I've shared this story before, but when we moved to Sugarland, we had moved from Houston in the city where there were chain link fences and when we moved to our house in Sugarland, it was a relatively new neighborhood, and there was no fence yet. So my dad went to build a fence, and at first I thought it was cool because it was a different design, and I don't know how you get away with that with all the HOAs these days, but it had lattice on the bottom and then pickets on the top. 
But after a while, the design started to fall apart, and we were on a corner, and this was like the 90210 generation, and the 90210 kids lived right down the street, and they would drive by in their convertible Corvette, and, and I just felt, I already had some self-confidence issues, and I was already, I just, I really started to resent that fence and to resent my dad, and it wasn't, you know, right at the forefront of my mind, but I just kind of had this like, ugh. And it wasn't until my freshman year in college when our family dog that we'd had for 14 years died. And we all came home to bury her and to just have a little family time together. And we were burying her in the back corner next to that fence. And as we buried her, all of a sudden the Lord opened my eyes. And I realized he had built that fence for her because all her life she'd lived in Houston where you can see through your fences and you don't put up walls between you and your neighbors, you know. And it's just different out here in Sugar Land. That's a, that's a joke. But I like privacy fences now. But... And in Proverbs, there's a verse that says a righteous man regards the life of his animal. But I didn't regard my dad as a righteous man. I just thought, like, for five years, I just thought, why would you do this? This is so stupid, and I feel stupid. And, and really, there was a lot going on in his heart and mind that I was not aware of. And after I realized it, I felt very endeared and appreciative and respectful towards him. In other words, it changed the way that I related to him. And we, we can do the same thing with God. And so I want to I talk on a couple of things but tie into what Pastor Allen talked about last week. Fathers want to reproduce. Not just in a physical sense, but they, they want to pass on. They want to leave a legacy. They want to, and mothers do too, but when you look at father in Scripture, you can see this model being played out. Several weeks ago, I was thinking about replicas and fakes and counterfeits, and what got me started thinking along those lines, we have a friend that they're, they're very well off. They live in a very nice neighborhood over in Sweetwater, and they don't really like to decorate, and so they were forced to decorate, and so they went and they ordered just some art off of Amazon. And so they ordered a picture of the Last Supper and one of Vincent Van Gogh's paintings, and these are all knockoffs. But when they arrived, one of the disciples, when you looked at it really closely, one of the disciples was cross-eyed. <laughs> and Vincent Van Gogh's name was misspelled. And they look pretty from afar, but when you get up close, like that's their, when you go to their house, they're like, hey, you want to see something funny? Check this out. They kept it, you know? And I, and I started looking into these concepts of reproductions and fakes and, and, and counterfeits. And when, when an artist creates a series of pieces and someone goes to replicate them, they're doing that so that they can deceive others and try to get credit or monetary reward for something that someone else created. When an artist creates a singular piece of work, a reproduction can either be an insult or an accolade or an honor. Because if somebody reproduces it to try to sell it as though it were the real thing, that's deceptive and that's evil. But some people reproduce it just because they respect what they did and they want to try to draw it. A, an honorable reproduction points to the original creator and the original art. And in biology, one of the definitions I found, the act of reproducing new individuals biologically is, was the definition of reproduction. And so I just felt like God was saying, fathers reproduce individuals. They don't make, they don't make robots that make them exactly like them. They produce individuals that have their own personality, their own ideas, their own identity, but yet they reflect the father. They, there'll be some genetic attributes, but when you really have passed on and reproduced yourself is when your children, spiritual or biological, have your heart, your mindset, your temperament, your passion, 
not a clone, but a reproduction. And so a reproduction is not a bad thing when you understand it in that sense. In a business or on a team, you want to reproduce the heart, the mission, the vision, the values of the group, but you don't want clones. We don't need 30 HR directors on a team. You know, you, you don't need 30 accountants. You need a couple of people or one in each different role. And then when, you, when everybody brings their different strengths, then you can really accomplish something and you can grow the organization. It's the same thing with God and his kingdom and in reproducing as a father. So if you want to understand that statement that is, that is a really hard statement, I'm going to read it again, Matthew 18, 35. My heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Here's some things you might need to know or that you might have forgotten. Kingdom is a form of government. It is not a destination. It's, it's controlled by one ruler by birth, not by vote. That ruler is responsible for his citizens. Kings desire to expand their influence and increase their territory, but their kingdom is not defined by the people or the territory. It's their influence over the people and the territory. If you take away the king and the people in the territory are still there, then the kingdom does not exist because a king is a government and it is a set of laws and it regulates the influence of a king over a land and a people. Understanding those things will help you understand what Jesus was getting at. But another hard thing that I had a hard time understanding, and many people have, in fact, I had a young man ask me this question Recently, if, if God is so good and he's such a good father, why would he have put that tree in the Garden of Eden? Well, when you understand kingdom and you understand authority, the only way to have authority is to submit to authority. And so the only way to rule in a kingdom and to grow up and to have influence and to be entrusted with the kingdom's resources is to have authority and to have responsibility and to be entrusted with resources. And in, in our traditional kingdom, you can only have one king. So you have to either wait for the king to die or you have to go to another land. So when you think about all of that, you put all that together, you think about God, that being the, king, the concept of kingdom, God is the king of heaven. He's the only one that can be king. But he gave us a territory called earth, and he wanted us to rule and reign and steward the resources of earth through a relationship with him, not through religion and rules, and to have his heart and to reproduce who he is and what he cares about, and what he says is right, and how he does things. And, and, and it would be through a relationship of love, not through coercion or force. That is, that's the concept of what kingdom is. And so heaven's goal is to rule earth and re reproduce on earth through a relationship with man. If God had not given Adam and Eve the tree, he would not, they would not have had the ability to reign and to rule with him because the only way you can have authority is to choose to submit to it. And in order to choose to submit to it, you have to choose to not submit something else. So it seems like an insidious thing. Why would God put that there? Because he wanted you to have an inheritance. He wanted you to rule and reign with him. He wanted you to be a part of the family business. One little nugget, this is just a little bit of a sidebar that I found when I was reading through this. I always had it in my mind that God spoke to Adam and then told him to go talk to Eve. But when God gave the instruction about not touching the tree, Eve was still in Adam. If you think about that, that is really profound. God, Adam and Eve are male and female man. They're a class of being, two different versions, equal in, in value but different in function and role. 
And, and God spoke to man and said, take dominion over everything, just giving you one thing to say no to. What, remember that verse that we just referenced a minute ago that John referenced that there's not, Jesus did not see such great faith in Israel? Who was he talking about? The centurion. Centurions managed a hundred soldiers. They were in charge of a hundred soldiers. You would have thought that such great faith would be in the house of Israel, but it was in the house of a heathen Roman soldier who was an oppressor of the Jews. And he came to Jesus needing healing for his servant. And he said, Jesus said, I'll come. And Jesus said, no. And the centurion said, no, you don't need to. Just speak a word because I'm a man under authority. And when I speak, my servants, my soldiers do as I say. And Jesus was blown away by that because he was the Roman soldier was getting the concept of the kingdom. And so the, the, um, the opportunity to have something to say no to was that opportunity to sow our will and submission to him in order to receive greater entrusting of authority and, and influence over the things that he wanted us to, to rule over. So how does that tie in with the unforgiveness that we talked about in Matthew 18.35? Matthew 18.35 is the last verse when Jesus is sharing the parable of the unforgiving servant. So you've got to go back up to Matthew 18.23. And Jesus starts off by saying, Peter had come to him and was asking him about forgiveness. How many times should I forgive? And, and Jesus said, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. And then he goes into this teaching moment. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay, and his master commanded that he be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and that that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And the master of that servant was moved with compassion, and he released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So to give you perspective, 10,000 talents would be the equivalent of $60 million versus $100. Actually, it was 60 million denarii. I'm just equating that denarii would be a dollar today. But 60 million denarii versus a hundred denaries. He's painting a picture. I was, I was wondering why would God be using money to teach about forgiveness? Because it's, it's painting a picture of comparison that no matter how much you think somebody else owes you, you owe him way more than you could ever pay back. And so it doesn't matter what your reference or your starting point is. We need to forgive because we've already been forgiven. And so his, the fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Just the same thing he said, the other guy said to the other master. But the servant would not. He went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that he had been, what had been done, they were grieved, and they came and told their master all that had happened. And the master, after he called him back to him, he said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt, that $60 million, because you begged me. Should you have not also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I thought it was interesting that he switched from servants to brother. He's, he's a father talking to a son. As a father, if I treat one child 
with one set of standards and not the other, I'm going to create an imbalance in our relationship. I'm going to be partial. It's going to be unfair. I'm going to create resentment between the two. I can't forgive one child for something wrong that they did and then let them go be cruel to another and not forgive them and, 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 and not hold them accountable. I'm trying not to use their names because I don't want to always use my daughter's names. But the God is Father is Creator, and He is Father, and He's Lord. So imagine your dad was a judge. He's your, he's your father. You know him as Father. But as a citizen, he has to treat you with fairness as a judge. Otherwise, what would we who are not his children call that? We'd call that insider dealing, you know, insider trading. That's not fair. Partiality, nepotism, whatever you want to call it. So we have to understand and know God in all the different ways that he reveals himself as God, as creator, as Lord, as father. And that verse is really harsh when you think about when you put yourself in the first person and say, God's going to do that to me. But how would you feel if you were the other servant that that one did that to you? You would want God to, now God's not saying, I'm going to hurt, I'm going to punish you and I'm going to derive pleasure out of torturing you. He's just saying, as long as you apply one standard to others after I've given you this, I have to hold you accountable. And the effect of that sin is going to remain in your life until you forgive it. I shared last time a story that happened in our life where a contractor had taken some money from us when they were working on our house while our daughter was in chemotherapy. And, and for two or three months, I pursued him and tried to make the, force him to repay the money. And as long as I was unforgiving and pursuing justice and getting that money back, the result of his sin was present in my life, in our family's life. And one Sunday, the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, you need to forgive and release and communicate that to him. And I did. And 48 hours later, an, a family member who had no idea what was going on called up and said, do you have your cabinets yet? We're coming this Saturday. And within less than seven days later from obeying the Holy Spirit, the results of that other person's sin were removed from my life. And see, you can for, I think money is used in that example because you can make a choice to settle the account, to write it off. Because what is money? It's just things that we agree on. If, you, if someone physically hurt you, they punched you, they kicked you, or they, they, they did something, that is an easier, less tangible thing because you can't document it on paper. I mean, it's, it's subjective. It's your perspective. Well, maybe they, they didn't mean to hurt you. They didn't, in their culture, that's not hurting you. That's a compliment. You know, whatever you're... He was using, again, an example to show that no matter what, what the offense is, whether it's monetary or physical or emotional, as long as you are unhealed, the results will remain from that sin. Jesus said it in another verse, if you retain the sins of others, they are retained. If you forgive them, they are not retained. But in order for healing to occur, forgiveness has to take place first. And that's what Jesus did for us. He loved us and he died on the cross. And when he was being crucified, he said, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And so he, he offered that. So that's what heaven wants. That's what father wants. He wants to reproduce his culture, his values. He didn't do anything to deserve our rebellion in the garden, and we were all in Adam when it happened. And that is how his kingdom works, is based on his laws. Last little application of sowing and reaping. And that's really what that is. If you sow unforgiveness to someone else, you're going to reap 
the results of that sin in your life. As long as you, it doesn't mean you forget necessarily that something happened or that someone, but as long as you feel that emotional pain, and I, I think it's interesting that Jesus said, forgive from your heart. The center of your being where you feel and your, um, your core is, whether it's authority or forgiveness or riches, reaping and sowing is a law of the kingdom. Peter didn't come and say, um, you know, he, wasn't, he, he, didn't, he did not necessarily ask about the kingdom. Jesus took the little issue that he wanted to, to focus on and he put it into a bigger context and said, look, in my father's kingdom, this is how me and my father see this particular issue. So if you want to have the answer to your question, you need to have my perspective on it. And then you need to submit to my instruction on it. And then you can enjoy the benefits and the reality of it. A police officer does not have the physical power to hold back traffic or to stop, you know, an 18-wheeler. But they have authority, which is delegated power. We lost our delegated power in the garden. And that's why the world is so messed up. And that's why we are want... That's why we work so hard to try to take dominion. We were created to have dominion over things. We were not created to have dominion over each other. But a police officer, before it can become a police officer, has to be trained and then tested. And then, if, and then they have to be hired or entrusted. You don't take the test until you take the training. But once you get trained, then you get tested. Once you pass the test, then you receive offers from police departments to become entrusted and I was, I was asking a, a military law enforcement friend this morning about this, and, and he said that a police officer, if they're not employed, can arrest and detain to prevent felonies, but they cannot enforce laws. Whereas a police officer who is employed, they're under the authority of a jurisdiction, they can enforce laws in that jurisdiction. And I'm just fascinated by that whole concept of authority and jurisdiction because Jesus said, I le- hold on, all authority has been given to me and I give it to you. Why did he give it to us? See, authority without jurisdiction is not the whole equation. You need to have jurisdiction, which is the right to use that authority. He put us on the earth. He gave us jurisdiction over the earth and then he delegates his authority to us to enforce it. And that's what the kingdom is about. That's what the Bible is about. That's what was started in the garden. That's what Jesus came to bring back. And so for Father's Day, if you have any wrong perceptions, if you've got any hurt feelings towards your father, there may be something in his life that hindered his ability to be the best that he could have been. And if there's things that you don't like or understand about your heavenly father, take a hint from my experience that once you have the right perspective and you see and you know more, don't rush to judgment. Because like I said, I judged my dad about before I knew what I didn't know about him. But once I knew, it changed. And my relationship got a lot better with him. And, but that's what God wants. God wants a relationship with his kids. He, and, and, and he doesn't want us to just be kids. He wants us to go out and reproduce who he is up there. Miles Monroe said it this way, the unseen wanted to rule the scene through the unseen on the scene on the scene so that what was unseen could be seen on the scene. And I can't do it as good as he does because he had that bohemian accent. But I I just felt like that was 
the Father's Day message that God put in my heart that when I first read that statement, it's, a, it's not really talked about in churches. It seems very, very difficult to reconcile because we know that we're forgiven of our sins when we're born again and we believe in Jesus. So how could there still be sins that we're not forgiven of? And go back to that analogy or the, the story of the, with the cabinets. As long as you don't forgive someone's sin, the reality of that sin remains present in your life. When you release it and you forgive, you turn it over to the courts of heaven and you allow God to minister in their life and to bring justice, which is what is right, into your life. And for me in that situation, for us in that situation, was our cabinets. And if we do that, we'll make our Father really proud and, and happy. So, uh, easy. I forgot to honor you specifically. I wanted to say thank you for the ministry that you um, have given and sown and shared in my life and so many others. Um, we are so blessed to have you as a spiritual father. And there are many of us that um, have got a lot of you in us. And uh, your, your kids call you blessed. So, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for being the best ultimate father. If there's any unforgiveness in us towards you or to our earthly fathers or even towards ourselves or our brothers, Please help us to bring that to your throne and to lay it at your feet and to submit it to your authority. We want to grow up into the full measure of all that you have for us. We want to enjoy what Christ accomplished on the cross, which was redeeming and restoring what was lost in the garden. And we want to put on display who you are and what you want for this, this world and this earth. And we thank you so much for loving us. Help us to honor and love our fathers that are here with us still and to enjoy every moment that we can together. And we look forward to the big family reunion that is only possible because of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.